Thank you for listening to the Around the Net Post Tennis Podcast. Please tune in for new episodes every Wednesday and every Sunday. Uh, howdy, folks, and welcome back to another episode of Around the Net Post Tennis Podcast. This is an extremely exciting podcast. We've got a special guest with us today. I've been excited about this episode since we last recorded on Wednesday. Um, so, you know, join me in uh, giving a big welcome to Chip Moore. Chip is the assistant coach at the Sacred Heart University. Uh, welcome, Chip, and, and thanks for your time today. Guys, what, a, what an honor it is to be on this podcast. Um, you know, it's something that was in the works for you guys for a few months, and um, it was it was a great idea when you guys kind of thought of it there, and uh, just just always always thought about coming on it myself, and now here I am. So let's get into it. Yeah, so um, I guess you you recently took on the the position of assistant coach. Uh, you've sort of you're a bit of a, a journeyman already, been at several different places. Uh, let's talk about talk about how that's been for you the first couple months in in a new position. Well, um, you know, as you guys know, I was kind of a you know, a lifer in the Conference Carolina. So definitely, uh, you know, a change for sure. And, and, and at first, uh, you know, I wouldn't say it was, it was bad or anything, but it was a struggle and kind of acting myself to a new world. You know, I, I knew the Conference Carolina so well, you know, I was there for, for almost 10 years. There, there wasn't anything that kind of ever surprised me. So, so just, just kind of getting used to, to new schools and, you know, playing new schools, you know, and kind of just a new landscape was uh, was was an interesting kind of kind of struggle, but kind of coming into my own now, and it's 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 really been a blessing. I think the best thing for me is kind of moving a little bit closer to home. I get to see my family on a on a week to week basis now, which was something I didn't get to do living you know ten to twelve hours away in North Carolina. So so that's really been a blessing, and and kind of every every single week is a new opportunity. We're playing a new school. I'm traveling to places I never traveled before, and you know, that really wasn't something I could say in North Carolina. No, that's it. That's exciting stuff. Um, uh, for for those who don't know, the the Conference Carolinas is where where we all played. It's um, Chip was uh, like Jacob and I, a uh, alum of Belmont Abbey College in North Carolina, uh, who play in the Conference Carolinas. Uh, Jacob, you how many years are you, are you going now in the Conference Carolinas? I believe this will be my. You want to start from when I first started as a freshman, technically year nine, but there was a you know a little gap in there during COVID. So really, realistically, eight years, but eight to nine years, I would say. Yeah, no, that's that's uh, both of you guys done a done a long long stretch in that conference. You think it? Do you think it helps being in the same league for for that long? Do you think it? You know, is there? You learn the style of play. You learn the the other coaches, the types of players that are attracted to to that conference? Is that, is that a benefit for you? Does that assist with your coaching? For sure. Yeah. I would say over the years, you kind of see, you know, you kind of start to see the level that each team brings. And some years teams will kind of up their game, bring in new recruits, maybe develop their players a little bit more than in past years. But it's, it's really good to be able to kind of have the consistency of knowing kind of what schools have, what types of players, like some schools will recruit solely based out of South America some schools have a large amount of maybe Eastern Europeans or Brits or Aussies. So it's, it's interesting to see kind of the different philosophies behind each team and kind of how the coaches will shape those, those teams as they go throughout the years. Chip, what do you, what do you think on that? Yeah, I think, I think one thing for me was, um, you know, the, the longer I stayed in the conference, um, the more kind of, 
you know, passionate I was about, you know, hopefully winning that conference tournament. So it kind of, I don't know, it, it always gave me kind of a different edge when I was coaching, just, just as far as like putting in the work day in and day out. Cause you know, the longer you are and the, the less, you know, winning you do, you know, cause you know, we obviously had some tough losses, just, just kind of fueled the fire a little bit more year in and year out. And, and, um, and that was, that was something that was crucial for me. I just, you know, I feel like the longer you're in the conference, the, 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 the batter you want it, you know, and, um, and especially those, those rivalries are kind of fueled year in and year out with, you know, the Mount Olives and the, the Belmont Abbeys in the world and, you know, limestone back in the day. And like, and that's when, when you go, when you kind of go somewhere else, that, that, that kind of rivalry and that those feelings, they, they, they're kind of a little bit different and you kind of have to kind of start over and build it again. So that's, that's kind of what I miss the most is just, being able to go to Mount Olive every year, you know, a team that is kind of, you know, universally um, not not too well liked by 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 everyone in the conference. Oh, but yeah, that's that's the thing that I miss the most is just just going to be the rivalries, getting to play you guys every year. I mean, getting to go back to my alma mater. Um, uh, for for the listeners, I was uh, I was a coach at, at Barton College, which was a rival of Belmont Abbey, so it was always a very interesting dynamic for me anytime I had to play you guys. Yeah, it was there. That I think the first year, which would have been 2016, when we made the conference final, and and they were the underdogs, and and yeah. we ended up losing. I mean, they had a great lineup, but we we had beat them in the regular season, so I think it would be fair to say we were the favorites. Um, and they came out, played lights out tennis, and 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 took that that championship away from us. I think after that, it sort of changed the dynamic between that that Belmont Abbey and Barton match. Yeah, and I think that was a. You know, pivotal year for us too, just kind of changing the culture of our team at Bell and Abbey. You know, I mean, we were, for all intents and purposes, losers uh, before you know you and Jacob and Zach got there. And I mean, they hadn't had a winning season in almost ten years, and there was like, it was this, the program was in dire straits at Belmont Abbey, and that I feel like that year is kind of the catalyst for everything that Belmont Abbey has done to this point. I think that Coach Mike has a lot of credit to take for turning that program around as well. With you know, his, the culture that he employed and the, the people he brought in. Um, sure. One thing I did want to touch on that, you know, I, I, st- um, I stand alone in this and in, in the fact that you, you two have had this experience, but you, so you went to Barton, which was a rival of, of Belmont Abbey and Jacob, you were in serious talks with Mount Olive uh, during the COVID year, right? About, about going to play there for an extra year doing your grad, grad, graduate education. Uh, I would say not too serious. It was just one phone call of many that I did when I was looking to do a fifth year my my senior year. But it was more so just to kind of see what options were available versus actually considering going there because I was, uh, you know, not too big of a fan of the program as a player at that time. Yeah, was was that a difficult difficult conversation to have, knowing the, you know, the rivalry and the the, you know, the pre-existing feelings towards towards them. Uh, I would say a tiny bit, but I was I wasn't really too caught up in um, I would say realistically considering going there at the time. Like it was it was definitely one of the options since I was looking for what would have been a competitive program within a conference that had a chance of winning a title. Um, and then just like Belmont Abbey, they kind of fit the same same profile as us at the time and. Really, the only reason why I hadn't gone straight back to Belmont Abbey was because the the current master's program that they have there 
had not yet been started. So I was kind of shopping around for places that had that. And that was just one of them on the list. But for me, I, I, it was a little different. I, you know, we, we graduated at the same time. Well, we, I guess we graduated during COVID and then both pursued that that fifth year, the COVID years, we, we call it. Um, and I went to Wingate, which obviously was a D2 program. I, we weren't really rivals. We, we played every now and then and we were close in proximity, but different uh, conferences. Um, but then Limestone obviously transferred, who I would say was our biggest rival in the conference, Carolinas. They, no doubt about that. We did not they, like those guys at all. Yeah, they moved over to the SAC conference, so I ended up playing them again. So, so that was, you know, it was, it, was, it was good to see these rivalries develop and, you know, sort any, of uh, any interest, George, in, in telling that famous limestone story to the public? Um, yeah, I, it, we can we can go into it a little bit. Um, I got to remember the details here. And I was playing against a guy, and he he was unhappy with a line call, and he'd already had a warning for something else. So, you know, he starts complaining. The ref comes on. The long and short of it is he he argued so hard with the referee that she gave him another warning. And then the coach was on the court. The limestone coach was, like, swearing at the ref, swearing at me. And then she whatever decision she he went with, she went with. He didn't understand the decision, so went to the other end. She then stopped him, and he went off, like, smashed his racket right, right in front of him, saying about foot away from this lady. And then she gives him another warning which is a default so he gets defaulted from the match and they had about three guys like run onto the court as i was like putting my bag away and were like you know hounding me heckling me um and then uh i had to get an escort off the court because they were so (laughs) so and then uh, i guess the funniest part of the story was that after the the the, our our coach had no idea what was going on because you know he, he had never seen anything like this before um and he was like, go and sit in the, he was like, go and sit in the van, go and sit in the van. So I had to sit locked in the in the van for the for the rest of the match, which luckily was only about an hour and a half, two hours. But, in the, you know, they, the guy that I just just defaulted was regularly coming up to the van, like shouting abuse that I was lo- locked in the van. Pretty crazy story. But <laughs> uh, that's that is that is by far the most ridiculous college tennis story I've ever heard in my entire life. And. And like it's it's so it's so wonderful that of course it's my best friend George that that is the instigator there. Yeah, um, I uh, I'm glad, Chip. Another reason I'm glad that you're on the podcast is that I don't know if I've ever met a more passionate tennis fanatic than you are. I, I think even on my on my wedding day as best man, I still think you managed to get a good hour of Rafa highlights in in the morning. Well. You know, that's, I mean, more than a tennis fan, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Rafa fan at heart. I don't think there's a single statistic that I probably couldn't tell you about Rafa. Um, you know, he's, he's kind of my guy and he's, he's kind of the reason I got into tennis. You know, I, I kind of, you know, it, it wasn't even like the, the Vamoses and all of that. I, you know, when I first started watching him, I kind of just liked the way his forehand looked. Uh, I thought it was very, you know, aesthetically pleasing. Um, I was like, hey, this guy's pretty good. Let's watch him. And then you know, the more I watched him, I kind of was entranced by his uh, his his work ethic, his dedication, and just the way he gets fired up on the court and his positive attitude. And you know, unlike unlike Jacobs, you know, favorite tennis player never breaks a racket, uh, which is a very admirable quality. Um, yeah, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna say that I was putting this two and two together the other the other week when Jacobs said the timeline that he got into tennis. And 
it was about the 2010 year and 2011 when Novak Djokovic arguably had his best his best years between 2010 and 2013. So yeah. unlike Jacob, who is arguably maybe a bit of a glory supporter, we can let him chime in here in a little bit. What what sort of time frame did you get into to Rafa and and you know what? Yeah. I mean, I, I had always kind of admired Rafa. I I liked I liked kind of when I was a kid. You know, Federer was kind of you know when I was a kid. Um, Federer was kind of like the way Djokovic is now. Where he was he was so dominant that it was like, please, you know, for God's sakes, can somebody else, you know, win some tournaments here? You know, especially in like, 08, 09. And Rafa was kind of that guy. But I I never I wouldn't say I was like a diehard Rafa guy back then. But I really I really started liking Rafa when I was like, uh, I want to say a junior in high school. And, you know, like I said, that was like the 2015 year, which was arguably his his worst year on tour. But for some reason, the way his forehand looked that year was just like nice, even though it wasn't effective. But that I mean, that's kind of that's kind of the year I got into it, even though that was, you know, Rafa's by far one of his worst years on tour. So so I, I, I feel like by saying that, I can say I kind of wasn't a you know, a Rafa bandwagon fan. You know, I, I jumped on the train the year he was losing left and right basically every single week, which was 2015. So I take pride in saying that. Uh, Jacob, are we going to give you the opportunity to defend yourself here a little bit? <laughs> yeah, so, you know, the going back to the, the Novak Djokovic timeline, I, I started tennis right around that same time. I would say, like, I hadn't picked up a racket until I was 13 or 14, like, when I was... I guess that would have been in 2010 or so. And I remember watching the, the 2010 U.S. Open, just kind of going through that tournament. I was always trying to figure out, like, okay, who's my favorite tennis player out of these people? And just like Chip said, it was Federer was already the established, uh, quote-unquote, greatest player of all time already in 2010. And then you had Rafa, who had basically established himself as the second best player of the generation, you know, right behind Fed and really kind of starting to assert his dominance after the 2008 and then the 2010 seasons like that he was currently having. And, you know, I didn't want to be a bandwagon fan, as you kind of mentioned earlier. So I, I went with the person who I thought had the, the nicest looking game, Novak Djokovic. And I enjoyed, you know, just watching him play, watching him compete. And I did get a little lucky that he ended up, you know, being unreal the next year in 2011, which I think help solidify my fandom of him but yeah i've always been a huge supporter even though i may not necessarily love everything he does on court yeah if you if you can say 2010 was the year you started then i'll cut you some slack there jacob all right yeah i was i was desperately pulling for him to win that 2010 us open final against rafa so i was it's just never gonna happen yeah i know that was i i I, I honestly think that might have been the Rafa's best level ever was 2010. Just not only did he play an aggressive style, but you know, he was 24. So we still could, could move in a way that he, he can't move anymore. So. I, I think it's interesting that both of you were quite late bloomers to, to watching tennis from, from the sounds of it. I mean, I, I remember my first match that I watched live was Nadal against Soderling at the 2007 Wimbledon. It was, it was great because obviously he had the, the Soderling was mocking him like the the pants thing, um, the whole oh, yeah. game. Yep. So maybe that's maybe that's sort of where I get 
all the all the encore antics from was was that match that I first watched. But it was also great because I got three days off school because there were so many rain delays that we kept having to come back the next day to finish the match. So they honored the ticket. So it was a uh, it was unreal. Really? Wow. Yeah, and uh, great at story. the close of close of play, I was waiting for autographs. Like at the you know, there's a special area in Wimbledon, and it was too late. So the the stringer was like, I don't know, I, there's no one's coming, but I'll give you these strings. So I have one string of raffers and one of, of feds. <laughs> That's great. So you got a little RPM blast there. Yeah. Do, do you want to buy it? It's a. Uh, how how much do you think that could go for if you if you sold that? Oh, I'd, I'd, I'd maybe maybe like fifty years. I I have no idea. I haven't looked into it. And what was is Federer used the. He uses gut string, right? Yeah, it was the, but it was like you could see it was painted like the iconic red and white that he had it because it was the oh, old, super old red great. blade. Yeah. I, uh, the one time I got to see Rafa play, I was like, I was so nervous that I could, I could barely even watch it. I was like, I was tearing up. It was the 2019 uh, U.S. Open third round against Hyun Chung, and he, I mean, he took him to the woodshed, but. That was the only time I got to see him play, you know. Never heard that before. I took him to the woodshed. I like that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna use never, that. Never one. heard that one. That's no. That's a new one. You might have to add that to the, uh, to the, to the podcast vocabulary. That's such a northern, northern thing to say. Took him to the woodshed. Yeah, it's definitely a, a preppy northeast white guy thing to say. That's for sure. <laughs> before, before we get into the, the main, the main topic of today's discussion, I, I wanted, you know, we're obviously from different parts of the world, different parts of America, and we. We all ended up on the same team. So I wanted to give a bit of time dedicated to, you know, how we all got recruited to the same place and ended up on the same team. Uh, before we do that, we'll, we'll have a moment for uh, our sponsor, 3030 Tennis. Um, a shorter scoring format in tennis or each game starts at 30 all, rather than level uh, to provide more entertaining, shortened format matches uh, for all levels of the game. Um, I actually played this format last last week. Um, I don't know if you guys have played it at all, but um, well, I mean, we've we've done it, you know, quite a bit in practice. It's it's a good it's a good way to kind of simulate like pressure situations. I feel like like I will do like I'll do like thirty all, like second serve. Um, you got to start the game like that, and you know immediately when you do that, you're under you're under a lot of pressure, and you know it's you're always kind of I feel like I'm always kind of finding ways to simulate match pressure in practice and. Starting at 30 all second serve is a great way to do it. Yeah, no, it's a, there's a lot of spinoffs you can do. And, and that's good that, you know, that you're using it in the, in the college setting. I, I, I hit with, with a, with a guy that's going to college ne- next year, uh, once, once a week. And I guess in an hour, they, they, I, I got some credit that they didn't think he could beat me in, in an hour. So they, uh, they, we played this shortened format and he absolutely beat me within an hour. It, uh, it highlighted how bad I was at, at pressure uh, points. Yes. Well, my favorite story is the, um, this is this is completely off topic. When 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 Eliza thought he could beat you, you want to tell oh, that yeah. story? Oh yeah, yeah. Tell that story. Tell that story. It's Elijah, not Eliza. But well, you know you know it better than me, so you got to. Oh, okay. It. So um, I guess that was one year I didn't play the fall. I think I was injured. You didn't play the ball. Yeah, I think Elijah thought. Elijah kind of thought that you were. Oh, who's telling the story, Chip? Yeah. Is it? Am I telling the story? Or you telling the story? Well, well, I can chime in. I mean, I'm the guest here. Maybe Jacob tells a story. No, I, I think it's all up to you, George. You, you, all right, George. I will, I will be quiet for two minutes here. <laughs> so um, I didn't play the full. So I guess that we had a, a freshman on the team that, you know, he was 
he, he liked himself quite a lot. And he, he didn't see me play because we weren't in the same practice group. I didn't travel to any tournaments. So we sat in the cafe and, you know, everyone's, you know, locker room talk. Everyone's sort of peacocking around. And he, he, he goes, yeah, I reckon I can beat you. And I, I was, I was like, okay, absolutely. We'll, we'll play that. Um, and, and we had a team about of 30 people, and I would say he was about 20, maybe 20 to 25 range at the time. Didn't he have some, like, insane wins, though, like his last two years? I don't know. I wasn't worried about that chip. I wasn't worried about it. I'd seen him play. I'd scouted him out. And he said, you know, so we played. He said, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll you know, I'd, there was a bet, but I'm not going to go into the bet. I'm not sure if that's allowed. But he he, he said, I'm, I can beat you. If you win, this happens. If if I win, this happens. So I was like, absolutely. And then um, I beat him six love. And he ended up having to cough up. And he was like, I just didn't think you were very good because you didn't play. I thought you were one of the worst te- players on the team. And I was like, yeah, all right, man. Thank, thanks for the Chipotle gift card. Well, George, you, you, you've been proving people wrong since since you stepped foot on planet Earth. Thanks, Jim. That was included in his best man speech as well. That little line there. How we, uh, how we all came to be at Belmont Abbey. I think that was the conversation there. Yeah, so, uh, so Jacob, you're, you're from Spartanburg, South Carolina, which is about an hour away from... Belmont, that's right. That that's all. You're a local, local to the, you know, to the to the college. Chip, you're from the Hamptons in New York, so a little further right. adrift. And I'm from England, across the pond. So, how when how how did what's your recruiting story? So let's, let's Jacob, what, how were you recruited to, to Belmont Abbey by Coach Mike, if indeed it yeah. was Coach Mike? It it was in fact Coach Mike. So it's pretty simple, I would say. I was. Uh, you know, just started my college search my junior year of high school, and I was, you know, on the, the tennis recruiting website that I would assume most juniors know about or use, but I was on there. I was kind of checking to see, you know, which coaches had checked out my profile, and lo and behold, it turned out that I think I had something like 75 or 100 visits to my profile from the one and only Coach Mike over, a like, a one-year oh. <laughs> I was like, oh, this this guy seems to be pretty interested in me. And I, I always wanted to go to college in a pretty, you know, close proximity to where I was from. Like, I didn't necessarily want to be in the same town, but I also didn't want to go five, ten hours away from from home. So I, you know, contacted him, got in touch. We spoke a few times, you know, made the visit out to the school, pretty much all the standard recruiting stuff. And it was always, you know, my top choice pretty much since the beginning. Yeah, so Coach Mike was stalking the the LinkedIn premium of uh, college <laughs> recruiting. Um, yeah, so what how what was the time frame? You know how 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 soon did you go from you know initial contact to signing the deal for the next four years of your life? I would say it was pretty much a one one year time frame. So I started looking after I started my junior year. Um, I would say about halfway through is when I started contacting coaches, maybe around the spring season or maybe late, late winter of my junior year. And I remember the first time that I had coach Mike come out to watch a match was I was down in Hilton Head, South Carolina, playing a tournament at the Vandermeer Tennis Academy. And he, he came out with his family there doing a little beach trip, I think. And he had some time to also recruit. So first time I got to have him watch me play was then. And then I believe in the fall of the next year. So I think, think my senior year it would be or no it was the spring sorry spring of my junior year I went on on a team visit you know hung out with the the players 
I think Chip was already there at the time. Um, actually, was. it was probably my senior year because I think that Chip was there. But went out, spent the night with the team, you know, hung out with them when they did their team meeting, practice, all the all the good stuff. And then, you know, made my commitment, I would say, in the and near the end of the fall during signing day of uh, of November, my senior year. So pretty standard timeline overall of uh, what most college recruits, I think, would go through in the in the recruiting process. That's awesome. And Chip, you were one or two years before us. Uh, one year. I actually, as you guys remember, I graduated, ended up graduating the same year as you guys uh, in 2020 there. And that's because you uh, took extra classes, not because you, you failed some, right? Uh, well, I actually took on another major my junior year. Never never failed the class, got close. That <laughs> that finance class we're all in my, my senior year, that was that was a doozy. I almost failed that one, but uh, pass them all. And uh, yeah, so I did an extra year of that, did a fifth year. And then I also, as you know, coached the team, which was, that was a tough year. I, I thought we really had a chance to win that year, but, but uh, you know, kind of unraveled there with COVID. But uh, as far as my story goes, um, so I'm from Rhode Island, George. I'm not from the Hamptons. Um, that is not what you told me when we first met. You definitely did. <laughs> Anyways, so I was I was I was not really the player that you and, and Jacob are. I was probably like a a six UTR at best when I was when I was getting out of high school there. And I uh, I originally went down and visited almost every single D two school in Florida, and met with tried to meet with every single coach there, and basically every single one you know as you can imagine told me that I had absolutely no shot in the world of, of playing for those schools, like, you know, like Barry and, and, and St. Leo's. I mean, I, I had no idea, you know, I, I didn't really even, I'm going to like St. Leo's meeting with the coach and he's like, he's like, yeah, like everyone on our roster is like a 13 UTR. So you have it, absolutely no shot of playing here. It, it, did that um, happen because you had the perception that division two tennis was a bit of a write-off? Like you just like, Oh, it's not division. Well, one, no, uh, the, the real reason for me was I went to school in Massachusetts and I just desperately, desperately wanted to get out of the cold weather and go to school in Florida. And, um, you know, I knew I wasn't going to get probably get into like, I mean, I definitely wasn't going to play at, you know, the university of Florida. I mean, that's, that's a pretty obvious thing there. So I thought, yeah, so maybe I thought D2 would be a little bit lower level. And obviously it is from the university of Florida, but it's still not low enough of a level for six UTR chip at 18 years old to be playing there. Um, so after that, after getting, you know, rejected from basically every single Sunshine State Conference school in Florida, um, I sent uh, a DVD to about three or four schools. I sent it to Guilford College, uh, Belmont Abbey, uh, Salve Regina, and uh, maybe one other school that escapes my knowledge. But um, How old are you? DVD? Do you use one year before us? <laughs> it, it wasn't because it, wasn't it was the Stone Ages. It was because I... My mom and I physically could not figure out how to put a recruiting video on YouTube. And so we we made a DVD player and we emailed it to we didn't email it. We mailed it, like literally mailed it to a bunch of schools. And um, and Coach Mike was the only school that got back to me. He was literally the only one. So needless to say, if there's only one coach getting back to you, that's probably the place you're going to go play tennis. So did you ever think about not going? The fact that you know you only had one option was the, was there ever a question? On no, the I, I I really I really wanted to play tennis in college, and more than that, I thought 
I thought playing on a college tennis team would probably be a very easy way to make friends in college. And, and, you know, that was, I mean, that was something I was really never good at was making friends in high school. So I was like, well, if I'm on a team, especially a team of, I guess I didn't know at the time, 35 guys, then I'm probably going to have a lot of friends in college, you know? There wasn't 35 guys when you joined that. That was it. That was, well, the you know, the it, time. It, and, and that's something I can talk about as well, which I had alluded to earlier in the podcast was, I mean, Belmont Abbey tennis was absolutely in the dark ages back then. I mean, the craziest thing I thought about that whole recruiting process that I think about now is coach Mike was literally, I mean, he was 23 years old and he was recruiting me. Wasn't he I too mean, young is, to drive the bus? He couldn't drive the bus, right? Yeah, he couldn't drive the bus. And, and, and you guys might not know this, but Jacob probably knows it because he spends a lot of time with Coach Mike. Coach Mike was staying in a dormitory in the new dorms for his first year on, on campus. That's crazy. My uh, my recruiting process turned out to be a pretty simple one. At the end of the day, it was one person reached out to me, and that was where I was going. And also, I forgot to mention this. My mom actually went to Belmont Abbey, which was why I sent a DVD to Belmont Abbey. That was how I even knew about the school. Yeah, you know, I did wonder that because it, it does seem like a random school to sort of reach out from from up north. It's like, you know, yeah. why, how do yeah, you find they, that school? Not, not only was like, I mean, they didn't even have a tennis team. My mom went there. So, like, I didn't know anything about the school. And, you know, eventually, you know, got lucky that, you know, Coach Mike was there. And, uh, you know, he was building the program to what it is today. Because I easily could have gone to a school like, you know, like, I don't know, like Southern Wesleyan or, you know, that doesn't have a program anymore. Erskine that also doesn't have a program anymore. If if that, you know, happened to be the school that my mom went to, you know, that would have been the school that I sent my DVD to. So definitely got lucky there. What were the conversations like, you know, as a, you know, player of, of, of that level when you were getting recruited by, by coach? Was, was it like, you know, you're going to be a fringe player who's going to work up to play? Or how did that, you know, like? you know, I, I don't really remember too much, but I do remember basically being like, hey, if, if this coach wants me, it's where I'm going. I remember a coach sent me like a, he sent me like a two paragraph email basically breaking down my game from my recruiting video. And I, I, I just remember being like, hey, wow, this this guy's interested in me. You know, this guy actually took notice of my game and 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 seems like he actually has a genuine interest in me, not as a just a player, but as a person. And and as soon as I went down to Belmont Abbey and visited, I, I was like, yeah, this is where I'm going. Yeah, that's 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 interesting. And yeah, yeah. thanks for thanks for going into so much detail about about that. I think, so, Jacob, what, what were the, the conversations that you had with with coach? Like, what were your expectations going into, you know, the, the your first year, our first year of you know where you were going to be in the team? Um, yeah, I would say a little bit similar to Chip. I don't remember exactly what we talked about since it's, you know, been a, been a couple years since then, but just a I couple. Think, yeah, just a couple. It's but, getting on a decade. Isn't that crazy? I know. It doesn't seem like it's that a decade for me next year. Yeah. Wow. But yeah, so I would say I just remember kind of talking about how never being guaranteed a spot as a starter or anything like that, but being told that I would, you know, help contribute to the team and help us, you know, win some matches going in. And I had been able to watch the team the year before when I came on my visit. And I, I think I came out to one match in the spring season to kind of see maybe it was a conference match or something like that, but to get a like a good idea of the level of the team and, you know, watching them they, I would think that was coach Mike's first real recruiting class right before us, where 
he had brought in a couple guys like James Delaney and, and I believe one or two other guys that were starting. Yeah, Grant Golden was in that class too, correct? True, yeah. Grant Golden, I think yeah. Youngjin was also there. Yeah, my um, year, sorry to, sorry to interrupt you there, Jacob, but my year, Coach Mike probably recruited 12 guys to the team. And after the year was over, I think two guys were left. So um, it was it was almost like he kind of, um, you know, shocked you on the program there and then basically had to start over the next year again because so many guys left. Yep. But yeah, as as I was saying, like some of those guys were freshmen, you were year as well. Um, but just watching the team, I could kind of tell, like, based on my level, if the, if no other recruits had come in, I w- could have potentially been a starter my first year. And that was something that I was, you know, interested in the recruiting process where I want to necessarily go to maybe like a smaller division one and, you know, ride the bench for a couple of years. I kind of wanted to get uh, match play from my first year to kind of help, you know, build my game up since I started tennis a little late. I didn't start playing tournaments until I was 15 or 16. And, you know, I really wanted to get, you know, the full college experience as quickly as possible. So I, I would say that's kind of where I started from. And as everybody in this, you know, group knows, we've got a lot better that first year that, you know, George, Zach, and everybody from that class came in. So it was uh, never a guarantee that I would, you know, play in matches, but we had a pretty busy schedule. So I was, I was pretty happy with what I got, I would say. Probably a toss up between, and, and I, my opinion is probably there was some maybe guarantees in, in the guy that did play number six for us, that expectations were set that he was going to play. Um, but I, it was a fight pretty much year long between you and him, I would say, between who took that last starting spot. Um, I don't know if you agree with that or not. Yeah, I would say it was, it was pretty even throughout. I think we were very competitive in practice. There was not much uh, much to separate us uh, outside of, you know, a couple matches here and there throughout the year. Yeah, no, it's it's interesting to hear your guys' story. I, I haven't, you know, we've been friends for, you know, I guess getting on a, a decade and but we haven't really ever shared this, this kind of the, you know, how we all got into the same place. I, mine sounds a little bit different coming from overseas was, you know, it's you, you go through an agency so you, I paid, you know, well, my, my parents paid a lump sum fee to a, you know, someone who was a, a specialist, knew a lot of coaches and, you know, they facilitate the process of, you know, taking all the exams to, to qualify and then, you know, how to make the video that you post to YouTube, email to coaches. Um, and then, you know, there was a showcase that, that happened, um, you know, with all the, the guys that had paid this agent and I was about 20 of us. I think that was sort of when I first realized that although my ranking, et cetera, was good in, in England, that, you know, I, I was pretty low down on the pecking order for, you know, for, you know, they had all the top guys, the guys that, you know, went to, you know, Texas, uh, UF, uh, Baylor, you know, they were all there. And, you know, that was where the attention was. And it, it kind of hurt me a lot at the time because, you know, I was like number 14 in the in the UK. So I was like, you know, what, how did it, how did this happen? Um, but I, and that was what I said in the last part. I think it was more stature. You know, the D1 coaches are, are looking for a guy that's, that's physical. Um, so I, I got some good D1 offers, but I was more attracted to the proposition of, you know, coming in as a starter and then playing all four years. I, I'd heard some stories of guys that, you know, played six their first year, lost a couple of matches and then basically never saw the court again for the next three years. So I was fearful of that. Um, and then Coach Mike reached out and, you know, I, I think we had an instant sort of connection. I, I really liked how 
um, he was willing to help, even though he technically wasn't my coach yet, just even in the recruiting process. I was playing an ITF against uh, Hamish Stewart, who uh, he won the Commonwealth Games, went to Tulane, and we had a rain delay. It was a set and a set all. So I, I lost the first set 7-6, 1-6 love, and then it was a rain delay. Um, and we were talking that night, you know, he was giving me advice, you know, you know on how to, how to play the match, how to manage the situation in a one-set shootout. And I, I had a lot of respect for that because it was, you know, he really didn't have any obligation to put any time into, into, in, and that detail into that, given I hadn't committed or anything like that. So I think that was ultimately what, what sold, sold me on, on coming to Bowen Abbey. But I didn't do a visit or anything like that, um, which, you know, maybe some people would say was, was naive to, to not do that level of research. But, you know, it, it ended up working out well for me. There was British people there, which was also a big thing for me to have a couple of, of guys that, you know, I didn't know James from from home, but it's it's good to have someone that you can relate to early on. So that, that was important too. It's on paper what end up in terms of, you know, going to a D1 school. And I, I did have D1 offers, and as I'm sure, you know, Jacob, it sounds like you had offers on the table too. But, you know, I, I just wanted to play. I think that was all throughout my junior career. I just loved to play, loved to compete in matches. And I, I, I didn't want to, you know, be watching rather than rather than playing you know you only get four years in college so I did think it was interesting that you know when I I asked the question to to coach Mike you know who who else is coming in you know what what's my recruiting class look like but he told me you know he said uh, it was Zach Blythe who, who was obviously you know arguably the, the the greatest player to to put on the Bell and Abbey jersey um oh. it's so, so uh, Zach Blythe don't let Zach's ego go too high there Zach Blythe, Carlos Nolasco, who was the Spanish guy that, you know, Jacob and, and him were, were fighting in that first year for that, that last starter spot um, from Spain. Jacob, who, who didn't, he didn't ever use the name Jacob. He, he described Jacob as a talented kid from South Carolina, which I've always, uh, always found funny. And me. So I, I thought there was, there was four, four guys. Then I show, you know, I show up on, on campus and we're doing the orientation thing. And there's a guy, you know, he doesn't look much like a tennis player and he's wearing um wearing tennis shoes and I was like that's kind of weird he's wearing tennis shoes like you know so so I asked him I was like oh you know what, what nice tennis shoes and he's like yeah I'm, I'm I'm on the tennis team and at that moment I, I you know when you just feel your heart drop and you're like yeah I'm on a team with this guy now and he just <laughs> let's not let's not name any names here no but no, I think I know exactly what you're talking about um <laughs> well that well, when you met Zach though and he started playing did that make you feel any better Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, we we were roommates, and Zach's dad was such an eccentric guy. And I, <laughs> I to, I showed up, but I had no stuff. That's a good I, word. I, I, my my parents paid for the the starter pack that you get for a college dorm room, and I, no joke. Every night I got into bed, the the duvet or the the comforter was so bad, like you would put it on, it would just be like electric sparks everywhere. I'm surprised, really? it was like every yeah, it was I it was the material was so bad, um, and I had no stuff, absolutely nothing. So I was there for about five days before Zach showed up and, you know, Zach had the TV, the fridge, everything cool. But uh, it was literally just me in a, in a, in a prison cell for, you know, it was absolutely nothing. So, um, and we got on well. It was, he was better than me that freshman year and we, we had a lot of tough tussles and he ended up winning the challenge match, um, which was my first kind of real, like, I don't know, reality check in college. So, but we, we think we bought the best out of each other at, at times. Was that, was that the only time? I, I think that was the only time you guys ever really played a match against each other, though. Was that we played the, the next year. We played, and I, I won in a tie break. 
Um, but yeah, that yeah, was the only I remember watching that. You guys were really putting 100% effort in that day. Because I also was super stressed because, I, you know, I, I, I just overthought everything my freshman year to, to the lineup. I was like, this is, you know, I have to play. And obviously there was, I guess there were seven guys that, you know, could play. So in the back of my mind, I was, I was like, that, that fight, what if I'm the seventh guy? Um, so every time I, you know, I had to beat everyone, you know, you guys know about the chop list, the, the list of every single guy on the team that, you know, throughout that first semester, I just went down the list and, and beat everyone, you know, guys that could barely hold a racket. Like I was grinding <laughs> sets with just to write their name off the list. Um, so I, I did struggle with that, you know, with, you know, was I going to play or not? And yeah, I didn't handle that pressure overly well. J- Jacob, how was that for you to, to, to be there, you know, in the mix and how was your thought going on to court every day, knowing that you were competing for a spot? I would say it took me a couple of years to really kind of figure out how to, you know, deal with whatever pressure comes from that. It wasn't so much that I was afraid of not completely playing matches because we did have a pretty busy schedule, but it was more of like, you know, try to make that top six lineup potentially for a conference tournament or for conference matches at the end of the year. Um, I would say my my level in practice was pretty good for the most part. I didn't really feel too much too much stress off, you know, off of the match court per se when we were in game day. But I think the pressure was a little bit more prevalent when we were in bigger matches during the actual season where I felt like they would be must-win situations where like I got into the match, I'd be like, okay, this is competitive, but I might have to win this match or else there's a chance that like that might be my match last, last match of the year. So I feel like it might be a tiny bit different once you get into the lineup a little higher maybe during the year. But for me, kind of, you know, playing most of my matches at six or sometimes at five that year, it was, a, I would say, a little bit more stressful kind of for at least my freshman and sophomore year, just kind of, you know, figuring out whether or not I would be able to win. And then if I wasn't winning, like kind of trying to deal with the pressure of, oh, I might not, you know, see the court again for two, three, four weeks potentially. Yeah, I think that the situation that you – ended up in was was my biggest fear going into college that you would compete hard for your first year you you lose out to one guy and then it's that you know that stays with you for the the next couple of years um yeah I, I think there were times maybe when there were matches in, in practice and on the you know on game day that you, you potentially could have won but didn't how 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 was the pressure of having that narrative I would say that was probably the most difficult part of you know, the whole college tennis experience was really, you could almost, you know, look ahead to certain matches and be like, okay, this match is a, if I play in it is a must win either way, because if I lose this, then, you know, the coach almost needs to give somebody else a shot because you, you know, can't lose this match. Or if maybe it's another big match, you don't perform well, he might be looking for someone that, you know, has a better chance of winning in a big moment. So I would say that, you know, kind of having that pressure in the back of your mind makes it really difficult to play to the best of your ability. And some players, you know, thrive under pressure really well. And I would say I was definitely not one of those people at at least in my first two or three years as a player. So I think kind of looking back at it, it would have been, you know, nice to have a little bit more uh, experience kind of on the tennis court in pressure situations, it kind of, you know, helps me later on kind of at this point now, I feel like it's given me a look into how to better coach players on the court when they're going through the same thing versus, you know, some players that don't have to experience that in their four years. 
yeah, different perspective. And Chip, what about what about you? What was your attitude to you know being a a fringe player and and seeing I guess the next year after you come in, better players come in. How was your attitude towards you know how do I forge an identity on this team? Well, you know to be honest, uh, my first year, my my literally my only goal was to not be the absolute worst player on the team, and um, and that was, and I reached that goal as soon as I saw you know my best friend Isaiah Cole play. Um, <laughs> I can rag on him because he's a close friend of mine. He's, I thought maybe I had a chance, but to be honest, my level was so low. Um, and then when you guys came in, I was like, okay, like I'm probably not going to play. But, but you know, obviously, you know, I had such a good time on that team and, you know, I had such close relationships that, you know, it, it kind of was okay. I actually almost transferred to Guilford my sophomore year. The coach actually emailed me and I probably could have played there, you know, Famously, Joe Horn went there and Joe could play there. I, you know, my level was pretty similar to his, so I might have been able to sneak in at six. Um, that was a bit of rivalry side point, but that was a bit one of the biggest rivalries within the team. But carry on. Who, me and Joe? Yeah. <laughs> that was, he honestly, I felt like I was one of the only people on the team that actually enjoyed hitting with Joe. I really liked to play with him. I loved his intensity, and we always had a fun match. Anyways, as soon as you guys got there, I was like, yeah, it's going to be a struggle. But, um, you know, we, we were so good. And we had so much fun together as a team, especially that first year. Your guys' first year, I felt like that team was kind of closer and got along better than any other team uh, going forward. And and that was like, there was just no way I was going to leave after that. I mean, after the, after the sophomore year we had, you know, your guys' freshman year, even if I wasn't playing, it was. Yeah, I think. Definitely looking to where your career has gone after graduating and, and then climbing the, the coaching ladder. I can I can see how that that's fitting for you because of all the guys, you know, I think I did the math one time and I, I played on that team with, with 65 other guys. Jacob, you would have been the same with just with the timeline. Of those of all those players on the team, you were Chip were the you know one of the biggest, probably the biggest advocate for team success, regardless of you know where you were on the, you know, whether you were you know, number 12, number 20 on the, on the you know, the list of, of players, you always, you know, your first thought was, you know, how do yeah, we I mean, success as a I, team? I'll, I'll kind of always have the mindset of, hey, let's, let's all get along and let's all win. You know, I just, I just kind of want everyone to be, you know, one big happy family most of the time. And there were times when we were and there were times when we weren't. But, you know, I, I felt like through it all, the only thing that I really cared about was winning. And a lot of college players don't recognize when they're in college. It's like you will never get the chance to like practice and get to play tennis with literally your closest friends, like, you know, in that setting ever again after college. So like, you know, I feel like five years down the road, you realize that just getting to practice with your friends every day is it's such a blessing. And yeah, and you, you actually gave a speech to that, right, George, you, in, in a similar manner. Yeah. Um, I was asked to go back and speak, and, um, and Jacob can attest to this. And it got uh, pretty dark and depressing a little, little too quick. It was, um, <laughs> I, yeah. Uh, Jacob, you can give the outside perspective on how that came across. I don't, I didn't get any feedback from it, but it felt like it was, uh, it was pretty sad. I, I think I made myself seem like a, a sad and lonely old man, even though I'm happily married and living a nice life. Yeah, there was there was a couple moments where you were talking about how you were, you know, during COVID, you just were outside trying to train, but there was nobody to hit with. So you just had a, a racket and a tennis ball and you're 
back to hitting on the garage door out of your isolated place you were staying at. So, I mean, it did get a little, uh, little depressing at one point, but you know, the, the, the theme of your, your talk kind of came through, which I think was helpful at that time. Yeah, no, I, uh, I, I, you know, you get those things on Amazon, they're complete ripoff. You like put sand in the base and it's a tennis ball on a string and you hit it back and forth. Yeah, mm-hmm. I bought that for I bought that for COVID in 2020. Yeah, me too. Was, it didn't work. It was a ripoff. <laughs> yeah, but I was I was literally driving around um, trying to find like a good enough brick wall to hit off during that COVID time, um, just to train. Um, and that, that's the last thing before before we wrap up that I, I wanted to to go on to. I guess since graduation, because um, we did all graduate at the same time, you know, and that COVID year, that season being cut short which is probably a conversation for an, for another episode but you know what how do you think that you've developed since since then the path that you've taken since graduating you want to start with chip you know like you said just just having gratitude for for uh for the time i had at bell and abbey has, has only grown since then i would say but but just i mean i mean just just growing up in general like you know like jacob you know jacob and i have kind of never we never really left the college scene, you know what I'm saying? So um, it, in that sense, I feel like not much has changed for me, but in another sense, a lot has changed for me because I feel like the older I get, the uh, the kind of less, a little bit less relatable I get with my players and I'm kind of more of like a, you know, a wise adult figure now, you know what I'm saying? And and that that I feel like has allowed me to kind of, I don't know, uh, maybe take a little bit more responsibility in my life than I had before. Whereas, whereas I would say the first two years that I was in college, like, you know, I, I still just kind of wanted it to be like it was in college. I just kind of wanted to be, you know, just one of the guys, but, but now it's kind of a little bit more of a professional role. And, and I'm kind of, I'm kind of, uh, not just coming to terms with it, but kind of enjoying it and enjoying just being, uh, a little bit more of a you know responsible individual, I would say, just just taking on that responsibility and just uh, taking life as it comes. I don't, I don't know. I think I'm just rambling here now. So why don't Jacob talk? Yeah, uh, we'll, we'll, I will just say there that you you you've come a long way from um, bribing me. You, I remember the quote: "If you win this match, I'll buy you a 24 pack." <laughs> I thought this was a clean podcast. I thought this is G-rated. <laughs> Some things are worth saying. Jacob, on to you. Yeah, so I would say the, I think the biggest change that happened kind of during that COVID year was by my senior year, kind of going through our last year, even though it was cut short, I was pretty much ready to be done with college tennis. Like I felt like I had kind of, you know, maxed out what I was capable of doing on the court at that point. And it would have been nice to finish the season. But I think one of the reasons why I ended up going back to college tennis was partly because we didn't get to finish that senior season. So it felt like there was some unfinished business there, but also just kind of, you know, spending a year at home during COVID, you know, working a couple jobs and, you know, really spending time not playing tennis. It just kind of showed how much I enjoyed being around the college tennis scene, you know, being able to, you know, not just be able to play tennis, but be around tennis competition at least. Um, I will say, sorry to cut you off, Jacob, one thing from my side, you know, because I had never really, you know, been a factor on the team as far as playing wise, when I got a chance to be a coach of the team, um, you know, that meant a lot to me because I finally felt like I had 
some sort of a, a role on the team. You know what I'm saying? Like, and I just got to do things I didn't get to do before. I remember, remember you were playing like North Georgia, George, and just, just getting to be like on the court with you and Zach was just such a, it was just such a cool thing to do because it, it had been something I never got to do. So I feel like coaching for me was a way to kind of get into the college tennis scene in a way that I hadn't before. Cause you know, I'd, I'd never really been, you know, a, a, a real player on the team. So. Yeah. Uh, Jacob, what, what, go back. We didn't mean to cut you off. Oh, you, no, of course. Uh, I guess kind of like piggybacking off of what Chip said, I think that when I went back into coaching, I felt like I was able to kind of, you know, use my, my wisdom gained throughout the, the four years as a player to kind of, you know, help guide some of the guys that were on the team, whether they were in their first year as a freshman, if they were a transfer or even the guys that, you know, I, I played with before, you know, just a year ago. So I think, I think that was one of the big things that I enjoyed doing as a coach and then kind of, you know, growing throughout different roles, I would say in the last three years or so as a coach, you know, going from my first year where I was, more or less a fifth-year senior, kind of doing the same thing Chip did, where I was, you know, coaching all the same guys that I was on a team with the year before, and then kind of, you know, evolving up to this point where I now feel like I've, you know, I'm I'm pretty much seven or eight years older than most of these freshmen now. So it's kind of moved from being a fifth-year senior type mentality up into a, you know, like at a minimum older brother slash authority figure for a lot of guys on the team. So now it seems like both of you guys have hit like an age or a. a a time in your career where you can really kick on now and and start to make your own identity with you know where both of the respective schools you're at. I, think I, I would great. I would say the the COVID stop like it, it, it I think it affected me pretty badly looking back retrospectively. The it was kind of weird that last semester. We obviously the the tennis was probably our best team. I think we were we were going to win the conference bar any you know obscene upset, but that um, I was having probably the best semester I'd had off the court like I was just having so much fun you know just like that it was you know guys you got to go home like season's over school's cancelled online graduation all that all that really affected me you know pretty negatively I think um but then looking back you know it gave me a huge opportunity to to achieve what I wanted to achieve through college tennis with the the opportunity to go to to Wingate uh for my fifth year completely different program when I when I signed for them they were number three in division two you know we had an an insane team and I think like I got to and you got a lot of closure uh, got to meet your wife there which is pretty good too yeah I did and it it just gave me closure that I was able to you know really push myself um Mm. I felt like I was probably a bit too comfortable at at Belmont Abbey probably my junior and senior year um and, you know, I, I had to make my own identity at Wingate and start all over again. And just a one and done year just to, to give it everything. And we ended up we won a regular season title, which which meant a lot because, you know, we hadn't hadn't outright won that in my college career. Um, and, yeah, it was just it worked out well for me. I'm grateful for the for the opportunity. And, yeah, it was a um, really good experience in the end. Um, and, yeah, it was it was good to share the court with with. You know, just guys that would just wanted to win beyond anything, um, and some really good guys. You know, we had a, we had a great lineup. Um, so when the, when that call call came from from Wingate, it was it was hard to turn down. I will I will say I've been listening to the podcast. I want to say this: it's it's actually kind of weird listening to you guys because you guys are such close friends of mine. Um, you know, I'll be listening to you guys. I'll hear like a take you give about 
you know, Alcaraz or Sinner, I'll, you know, I'll want to chime in on it. And then I'm like, oh, wait, they're, they're not in the car with me right now. You know, it's, it's, <laughs> it's been pretty, it's been a funny feeling. So that's about a wrap on today's episode. Uh, tune in next Wednesday for another installment uh, of Around the Net Post. Um, enjoy the rest of your weekend and have a great week ahead. I've been George Barfoot. I'm Jacob Andres. I'm Chip Moore. And always remember to go around the net post. Bye.